But wait, there's more. Hi, everybody. It's Terry O'Reilly here, and we're happy to announce something we've never offered before. It's our But Wait, There's More subscriber package. If you're a fan of Under the Influence, you'll get more than ever before. You'll get more bonus episodes like the live recording and audience Q&A we did recently at the Hot Docs Podcast Festival, exclusive for subscribers only. You'll get more podcasts with additional stories. You'll get early access so you can listen to all of our new shows before anyone else. You'll get all of our episodes, including archives, ad-free. Tisk tisk. I won't judge. You'll be invited to Ask Me Anything sit-down chats with yours truly. You'll get first dibs on tickets for live events. You'll get big discounts on Under the Influence merchandise. And that's only the beginning, all for a few bucks a month. Just go to our show page on Apple Podcasts and tap Try Free to start your free seven-day trial. Membership has its privileges. Hmm, you should copyright that. 
standing at only five feet six inches tall. But he had a great voice, so he turned his sights on radio and found success there. A talent agent spotted him and believed he could have a career in motion pictures. So she helped Ladd land some small B-movie roles beginning in 1939, including an unbilled part in Orson Welles' Citizen Kane. Ladd finally became a star when he played the role of a psychotic killer in the movie This Gun for Hire in 1942. But the film he is most remembered for is Shane. In the movie, Ladd plays a lone gunfighter named Shane who wants to leave his violent past behind and live a simple life. He meets a farming family who take him in as a hired hand. Shane is an interesting man. He wears fancy clothes, almost a dandy. When he enters a bar filled with rough men, he doesn't order a whiskey. Barton. Yes, what can I do for you? Do you have any soda pop? In the story, there is a rich villain named Rufus Riker who wants to run all the homesteaders off their land. He sends his henchmen to terrorize the families. Shane is the only one who can protect them. But he is a reluctant hero. He knows how it will all end. In the classic showdown, Shane seeks out Riker and main henchman Jack Wilson, played by a menacing Jack Palance. So you're Jack Wilson. What's that mean to you, Shane? I've heard about you. What have you heard, Shane? Then the two men square off. I've heard that you're a low-down Yankee liar. Prove it. While the movie has several classic moments, the one it is most remembered for is the very last scene. Shane has killed Riker and his henchmen. He decides he has to leave the family he has protected. He knows he will be forever known as a killer. In the final moments, he explains his reason to the family's young son, Joey. Joey, there's no living with with a killing. There's no going back from him. Right and wrong, it's a brand. A brand sticks. There's no going back. A brand certainly does stick. And Shane knew that brand would never go away. do stick and do last. Welcome to our annual episode where I tip my hat to some of the brands I admire. This year, as we watch many good companies struggle to stay afloat, I want to talk about brands that have lasted through many difficult times. Companies that have survived wars, pandemics, and economic catastrophes, all of which were unprecedented at the time. Some of these companies were a welcome diversion. Some helped during wartime. But in each case, the strong brands I talk about today inspire brand envy. You're under the influence. 
One day back in 1916, a salesman visited the Demetz Candy Store in Chicago. He dropped a strange-looking chocolate on the counter of the family-owned business. It was made of pecans dipped in chocolate. While this type of candy had been made by various companies at the time, one word that day changed the future of Demetz forever. A waitress looked at the strangely shaped candy and said, It looks like a turtle. The Demet family immediately trademarked the word turtles, then added gooey caramel to the pecans and chocolate, and that took the candy industry by storm. When big movie theaters opened in the neighborhood in the 1920s, they attracted crowds of people every day. Those crowds dropped into Demet's and began buying more and more turtles. Turtles became a prized treat during the Depression and the Second World War rationing years. They came to Canada in 1949. Over the years, Turtles created some very memorable jingles. I love pecans and caramel too. I love chocolate. Oh, yes, I do. That's why I love Turtles. Turtles, turtles, rah, rah, rah. That famous jingle was actually inspired by a song that came out in 1966 called I Love Onions. I don't like snails or toads or frogs or strange things living under logs, but mm, I love onions. Today, turtles is still a popular treat, especially at Christmas. It has survived for over 100 years by slowly building its brand through the Spanish flu, world wars, and the Depression. But hey, you can't rush a turtle. Pick a card. Any card. Without even knowing you, I bet I can guess which card you'd most likely choose. You'd pick a bicycle card. Bicycle is the biggest brand of playing cards in North America. I always thought that was an odd name for playing cards. They were first manufactured in 1885. The reason the name bicycle was chosen is interesting and simple. Bicycles were the hottest items in the 1880s. So the company jumped on a trend. When you fan out a deck, you'll notice the Ace of Spades and Jokers carry the bicycle trademark. But the backs of all cards feature what is called a rider design, showing a winged cherub on a bicycle. Bicycle brand playing cards are not only the best-selling playing cards in North America, they are also preferred by a group who knows a thing or two about cards. Magicians. They like the brand because it helps them with their tricks. The reason? The bicycle brand is so familiar, spectators never question the cards. Playing cards are said to have originated in the Far East. They were highly prized in Europe, and the designs of the suits and face cards we all know today are said to be French in origin. Interesting to note, there is only one card that originated in North America. The Joker. Curiously, very few games employ them, and that is why the Joker is the only card that lacks a standard design brand to brand. Bicycle playing cards were dealt a very interesting role during the war. In World War II, prisoners were guaranteed the right to receive mail and packages from the Red Cross, according to the Geneva Convention. 
as long as the packages didn't contain weapons. Included in those packages were decks of bicycle cards. Playing cards were so familiar among troops, they aroused no suspicion from Nazi camp guards. So Bicycle teamed up with American and British intelligence and created a very clandestine deck of cards. When these special cards were wet, they peeled apart to reveal hidden maps and escape routes. They also gave POWs important information that helped navigate their way back to Allied lines. All the soldiers had to do was put the cards in the correct running order to get the full map layout. These special decks inspired hundreds of escape plans and saved many lives. Two of the only known surviving decks are displayed now at the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. Bicycle Playing Cards 135 Years of Games and the Occasional Game of Life Recently, I pulled a container of Philadelphia cream cheese out of our fridge and saw something I never noticed before. On the lid, it said, since 1872. I had no idea Philadelphia cream cheese had been around that long. Here's the surprising thing. It wasn't made in Philadelphia back then, and it hasn't been made there any time in its 148-year history. It was actually created in upstate New York, by a dairy farmer named William Lawrence. He boosted the cream content of his cheese recipe and created something new. It sold in modest quantities. That's when he was approached by a cheese distributor named Alva Reynolds. Reynolds instantly saw the potential of cream cheese and said to Lawrence, you need a name for that product. Essentially, Reynolds wanted to brand the cream cheese. It was a pioneering thought, as almost no food was branded in the late 1800s. He chose the name Philadelphia cream cheese not because of location, but because of reputation. Back then, the Philadelphia area was widely considered the top producer of fine cheeses, so Reynolds named the product after the cheese capital. Reynolds brought many other dairies on board, and they all began producing Philadelphia cream cheese. It was such a big success... Reynolds eventually sold the brand to a big cheese company that eventually merged with Kraft. Here in Canada, Philadelphia cream cheese has long been the market leader. But being the number one brand means you are always playing defense while other brands nip at your heels. Because it's way more fun to storm the castle than to defend it. In 1994, Philadelphia cream cheese came in two basic styles, a hard brick for baking and a soft variety for spreading. The brick accounted for the majority of sales, but was declining. The soft version was much smaller in sales, but was increasing. The reason was simple. People were becoming more concerned about healthy eating. That meant fewer cheesecakes. But the spreadable cream cheese was seen as healthier because it had 60% less fat than butter or margarine. And that was a compelling selling point. Research also revealed that women loved the soft cream cheese spread and looked forward to the treat. So, Kraft blended the rational 60% less fat message with an indulgence message and came up with a campaign idea. 
Here's one of the first commercials from 1995. See if you remember it. Oh, heavens, I've been on my wings all day. Time for today's little indulgence, Billy. 60% less fat than butter or margarine, and it tastes like paradise. Oh, crumbs. Crumbs. Oh. Nobody looks there anyway. <laughs> With 60% less fat than butter or margarine, Philadelphia cream cheese is a little taste of heaven. This place is a mess. The campaign was called A Little Taste of Heaven and featured a spokes angel who lives in the soft clouds and loves to indulge in Philadelphia cream cheese treats. The angel was portrayed by Linda Cash, a very talented Canadian actor who has appeared in episodes of Everybody Loves Raymond and Seinfeld and in movies like Waiting for Guffman. Linda and I have done many commercials together over the years. She is funny, witty, and brought just the right amount of angelic impishness to the role. The campaign was a huge success. In 1995, sales jumped 24%. The next year, they jumped another 25%. The Taste of Heaven advertising campaign doubled sales. It was so successful, it ran in 30 countries with different angels in different languages. And in 2020, the wonderful Linda Cash finally retired her Canadian halo and even led a casting call to find the new Philadelphia cream cheese angel. Hi, Canada. Remember me? I'm the Philly angel, and I've come back to pass on these wings. So post a short video on why you should be the next Philly angel. And you can be the new me. A brand that has lasted through thick and thin, hard and soft, for 148 years. And today, Philadelphia cream cheese has a heavenly 80% market share. And we'll be right back. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Manny's and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. If you're enjoying this episode, why not dip into our archives? Available wherever you download your pods. Go to terryoreilly.ca for a master episode list. It is said 60% of all households do not purchase even one book per year. Yet... Almost 42% of romance readers read one romance novel per week, and some spend upwards of $1,200 a year on books. And even though the compilers of bestseller charts ignore the romance category, the genre accounts for over 40% of all paperback sales, second only to mystery novels. Which is good news for the one company that dominates the romance market worldwide. Harlequin. I bet you didn't know this fact. Harlequin Romance was started by a Hudson's Bay Company fur trader. Makes sense. In no way whatsoever. But it's true. Richard Bonnycastle was born in 1903 and eventually became the chief fur trader for the Hudson's Bay Company. After 20 years, he went to work for, and eventually became the owner of, a company called Advocate Printers in Winnipeg, Manitoba. To keep the printing company busy during the war years, Richard and his manager Ruth Palmore began buying the reprint rights to a variety of -of out-of-print books 
and republished them for Canadian readers. In particular, they purchased romance novels from a British publisher called Mills and Boone. Bonnie Castle's wife Mary began editing the books and noticed those romance novels were becoming their bestsellers. So she and Paul Moore went to Richard with an idea. They wanted to pivot the company exclusively to romance. Richard couldn't argue with the logic. With that, the Harlequin Company was founded in 1949. Throughout the 1950s, Harlequin specialized not just in romance, but medical romance. How's that for a subgenre? But that was because many of the books from Mills and Boone were written with doctor and nurse plots. It worked, and readers ate them up. Harlequin would eventually move its headquarters from Winnipeg to Toronto in 1969 and purchase Mills and Boone two years later. In the 1970s, a marketing specialist named Larry Heisey moved over to Harlequin from Procter & Gamble. Knowing the Harlequin readership was comprised mostly of women, he reasoned the same techniques that sold soap to women could be used to sell them novels. He applied that P&G strategy to Harlequin by creating distinctive Harlequin packaging that framed the author, title, and cover art. His idea was to market the books in a place where women already shopped, namely, grocery stores. Heisey bundled free books with Ajax cleanser and Kotex boxes. Books were given away at McDonald's on Mother's Day and bundled with Avon products. It was a disruptive strategy. With that, Harlequin's profits soared. Those big revenues attracted the attention of publishing giant Torstar, owner of the Toronto Star, which purchased Harlequin in 1975. With the acquisition of several publishing companies in the U.S., Harlequin now boasted an 80% market share on both sides of the border. By 1986, Harlequin was selling over 180 million books per year, with most sales occurring outside Canada. By 1989, Harlequin had revenues of $325 million and an operating profit of $56 million, making up more than a third of Torstar's total profit. Then, in 2014, Torstar sold Harlequin to publisher HarperCollins, where it resides today. Harlequin is a remarkable success story. 65% of romance readers cite Harlequin first when they think of romance novels. Two Harlequin books sell every second worldwide, and they are published in 16 countries and 32 languages. From a fur trader's desire to keep his printing company busy, to his wife's shrewd eye for the potential of romance novels, the company has grown to dominate a category in a way few brands ever do, proving all you need is love and a good plot. Believe it or not, some big ideas are hatched in slow, desperate times. Back in 1918, a sports cartoonist at a New York newspaper was desperate for an idea during an incredibly slow week in the sports world. So he hit on the idea of drawing up a cartoon panel based on surprising sports facts. He titled it Champs and Chumps. The cartoonist was Robert Ripley. 
the response from readers was overwhelming. His editors urged him to continue with the new feature. Soon, he expanded his idea beyond sports to cover oddities from around the world and renamed his feature Ripley's Believe It or Not. In one cartoon, Ripley pointed out the surprising fact that the Star-Spangled Banner was not the official anthem of the United States because it had not been designated as such. That cartoon created such an outcry that Congress was flooded with letters, prompting President Herbert Hoover to sign it into law in 1931. Newspaper baron William Randolph Hearst saw all the attention Ripley's Believe It or Not was attracting and sent a two-word telegram to one of his VPs that simply said, Sign Ripley. With that, Ripley was syndicated to hundreds of newspapers across the nation. Ripley's Believe It or Not actually grew during the Depression, as it was a welcome diversion from the difficult times. By the mid-1930s, he was making half a million dollars a year. Ripley assembled a large team of researchers and scoured the world for oddities and surprising facts. He found shrunken heads, dogs that play the piano, men who put pins through their cheeks, and people who could swallow fire. Over 80 million readers were mesmerized at his discoveries. The words, believe it or not, became a national catchphrase. Ripley wrote best-selling books, and when Tencent movies were therapeutic for millions of people during the Depression, Ripley created short films that ran in theaters. Hello, Mr. Ripley. My name's Billy. Hello, Billy. What can I do for you? I finished all my lessons, and now I'd like to see your book. Will you show it to you me? You bet I will. Supposing you and I take a little trip through Believe It or Not land. Next, Ripley brought his show to radio. And here is that uncanny, unassailable, unmatched, unparalleled underwriter with the ultimate and unexampled, unconfutable, ultra-unbelievable, unquestionable upheavals, Believe It or Not, Bob Ripley. And greetings, everybody, and welcome to the program. Ripley's Believe It or Not was quickly becoming an empire. In 1933, when many companies were shutting their doors, Ripley opened up his first auditorium, spelled O-D-D, as in odd. It was a place where people could come and marvel at the bizarre, strange, and sometimes grotesque artifacts Ripley was collecting from around the world. In the 1940s, Ripley was voted the most popular man in America. With that level of fame, there was only one medium left to conquer television. But it would be Ripley's last stop. Just as television was getting off the ground in 1949, Ripley debuted his new Believe It or Not program on live TV. Ripley's Believe It or Not. After hosting the 13th episode about death rituals, Robert Ripley suddenly collapsed on the set and died of a heart attack. He was only 55 years old. Even though the great Robert Ripley was gone, his empire has continued unabated. Today, the brand is now owned by the Jim Pattison Group in Vancouver. There are 30 Ripley's Believe It or Not auditoriums, 10 Ripley's Marvelous Mirror Mazes, 4 Ripley's Moving Theaters, 4 Ripley's Haunted Adventures, and 3 Ripley's Aquariums. Not to mention a huge publishing arm. 
If the true measure of a brand is staying power, this unusual enterprise has managed to survive the ebbs and flows for over 100 years. Hats off to the talented Mr. Ripley. We've talked about a lot of brands on this show over the years. Many of them come and go. Think Eaton's, Blockbuster, Woolworth's, and Nortel. Companies we never thought would disappear. There are a million ways for a company to die. Hungry competitors emerge every year. Technology can help or slay. Tastes change. Leadership can fumble the ball. And unforeseen circumstances can jump out of the bushes at any time. After this pandemic finally flattens, a lot of companies will have disappeared. Companies that were healthy and successful. That's why I tip my hat to those companies that find a way to survive. Four out of the five brands mentioned today have lasted over 100 years. That means they have survived pandemics, the Depression, world wars, recessions, aggressive rivals, and probably dozens of unforeseen circumstances. Harlequin and Philadelphia cream cheese not only endured, they dominate their categories. Ripley's, which began in the first year of the Spanish flu, has not just survived, it's expanded. And Bicycle Playing Cards still has the best hand at the table. As Alan Ladd said in the movie Shane, a brand sticks. But the real feat is for a brand to stick around when you're under the influence. I'm Terry O'Reilly. This episode was recorded in the Terrestream Mobile Recording Studio. Producer, Debbie O'Reilly. Sound engineer, Keith Oman. Theme music by Ari Posner and Ian Lefevre. Research, Beverly Mason. If you liked this episode, you might also enjoy comparing it to our very first Brand Envy show, Season 1, Episode 19. You'll find it in our archives wherever you download your podcasts. See you next week. I can't imagine spending $1,200 on romance novels. I budget $1,100. <laughs>